Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Reading of God's Word as it comes to us this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1 as we make our way through this epistle of Peter. We're going to be looking primarily at verse 13 today, but we will read 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's that time of year again for graduation ceremonies, and perhaps you've been a part of them already this year. And with those graduation ceremonies comes the obligatory graduation speech, where a speaker will give some type of rousing speech of hope and purpose and calling to the graduates. I was asked to do such a speech this year for an eighth grade graduation, and I will tell you it is a challenging thing to do, so I admire those that do it and do it well. Recently I heard the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas give a graduation speech at Christendom College in Virginia. And he said this, which I thought was interesting. He said, at graduation ceremonies, many people will tell you to go out and conquer the world, to climb mountains, to do great things. The truth is, we are fortunate if we conquer ourselves. And that sounds like an odd statement, doesn't it? Fortunate if we can conquer ourselves. You might think we are ourselves. Why would we need to conquer ourselves? But I think that is absolutely true. And oftentimes we do daily battle with ourselves, with our thoughts, with our emotions, with our deeds, with our words, with our feelings. And many times, if we're honest, many times we feel like we're not in control of ourselves or our own faculties. And I think when we become Christians, that feeling only intensifies, that battle increases because we must now fight the fleshly desires of our sinful nature. And we must operate in a world that is contrary to godliness. And that sense of conquering ourselves seems that much more daunting. Again, if we are honest, oftentimes we feel more conquered than conquerors. And Peter here, I think, addresses this. Having set out the salvation that is revealed in Jesus Christ, as we have seen over the last several weeks in verses 1 through 12, he moves on to demonstrate what this gospel looks like in a practical way. 
What does this mean for us as we live our lives on a day-to-day basis? And I think Peter would say to ourselves, or say to us, that if we are to conquer ourselves, we need to be conquered by Christ. Fully and completely and wholly. And we are wholly saved to live a holy life. And when I mean wholly saved, I mean body, soul, mind, and spirits. Every aspect of that must come into conformity to Christ. In other words, into this aspect of holiness. And this morning I want us to look at what it means to have a holy mind. And next week we'll come back to look at what it means to have a holy life. First, a holy mind. As we begin this section, we notice that it begins with that very important therefore. That therefore is the bridge that ties together what is said before with that which will now follow. This conjunction is important. In fact, it is crucial. Because as he moves on to these practical aspects of the Christian life, it can't be divorced from the foundation. And that foundation, as you know, as we have seen, is the gospel. That this salvation that is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That we have this living hope. That we have this inheritance, undefiled, imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That we have this greater manifestation of grace that the prophets foretold. That we have this salvation now. And a greater salvation yet to be revealed when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And now he goes into, because all of those things are true, therefore, this is how you are to live. And that link needs to be made. That the word of life needs to be at work in your life. That doctrine with no practice is truly dead Dogma. But the opposite is not good either. Practice with no doctrine is moralism. And so doctrine and practice are both needed, and we see this all the time in the New Testament and especially in the epistles like this one. I should go without saying that you must be a Christian in order to live as a Christian. Likewise, you must live as a Christian in order to be a Christian. That justification will result in sanctification. It must. And so this idea that you can be saved and yet have no effect, have no difference on one's life is a damnable lie. And is from the pit of hell itself. Charles Hodge says this, It is impossible for anyone to share the benefits of Christ's death. In other words, is salvation without being conformed to his life. And that is absolutely true. And yet, with that being said, we are all under process, aren't we? In this life, the sign under construction hangs from our neck. That this complete manifestation of the salvation of this restoration or this renovation, if you want to continue with that analogy, will not be complete until the new heavens and the new earth. 
And yet, there should be a marked progress. Because as we read in Philippians 2, verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so Peter, having made that connection, gives some of what it looks like to live the Christian life. And he begins with the mind. Having a holy mind or having a whole or complete mind. And you might wonder, why is it that Peter starts here? Why does he start with the mind? Well, I think he begins here because the mind is the gateway to the rest of the body. That the spiritual battle is most often waged in the mind. It is a battle of the mind. God has given us wonderful and unique abilities Because he has given us a wonderful mind. Humans have the potential and oftentimes achieve that potential with some of the greatest acts of mental ability. They're given the ability to not only think but to reason and to speak and to be creative and to innovate. All of which comes from the mind. Humans are truly amazing creatures. Be it in wonderful engineering feats, be it in new innovations, be it in beautiful works of art, we should continually be amazed at what the human mind is capable of. Daily there is demonstrations of the glories of the mind. And I say glory because the human mind reflects the glory of God. Because we are made in the image of God. The mind is a gift. Children and and youth, you need to know that. That God has given you one of the greatest gifts in giving you your minds. So stretch and challenge that mind as much as possible. Use it for His glory. But as great as the human mind is, we also know that the fall has had its effect on the mind as well. That even the greatest gifts are those that can be the greatest corrupted. As the saying goes, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And oftentimes humans have wasted their minds. That which is used or could be used for God's Glory and man's good can equally be used for destruction and even death. And so the mind is part of that contradiction that lives within us, is it not? It shows forth God's glory, but it also shows forth his depravity. And so how is it as Christians that we would suppress, put away the sin, put away the depravity, and to use our minds in a way that would be glorifying and pleasing to God and good for our fellow man. Well, I think that's what Peter goes into here. And he begins with an analogy. In verse 13, if you have a modern translation, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for actions. If you have an older translation, it translates it Quite literally, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. 
Now, in the 21st century, girding up your loins has absolutely no meaning. And that's why the modern translations give the the meaning of it instead of the literal sense. But what is Peter saying there? What is the metaphor that he is using to his readers that would have read this in the first century? Well, as you know, in Peter's day, men wore robes. And those robes would stretch down to their ankles. That would be proper attire, but it wasn't the most practical attire, especially if work was to be done. Those long robes would get in the way. So it would not be uncommon to see men that were working in the fields or men that were going off to battle or if they were trying to get somewhere quickly to gird up their robes, as Paul says, by taking the bottom of their robes and tucking them into their belt, therefore exposing the bottom portions of their legs like you would shorts or perhaps like a a Scottish kilt. And therefore they would be given the proper agility for the task. And so, therefore, to see a man with his robe in this position, for his robe to be girded up, would be to know that that man is at work, or that man is at battle, or that man is going somewhere quickly. He's a man on a mission with a job or task to do with a battle or a war to be won. And Peter is using that analogy with the mind. Peter is saying that the state of the Christian mind is always to be alert, always to be attentive, always ready for action, ready to do battle. As I said before, some of the greatest battles happen between our ears, what happens in our mind and with our thoughts. Everything that we believe, everything that we stand for, everything that we live for takes place first in our minds. That's where our worldview is constructed, is it not? And therefore it starts with a regenerated mind. That our minds need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Romans chapter 1 says the same. Press the truth and unrighteousness. They've become futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. And through God's Spirit, we need a new mind. That's why most of you, if you were to tell us your conversion story, it would be like someone turning the light on. That you lived in darkness. The room was dark, but that room was your life. And the Spirit of God turned on the light switch for you to see everything anew, everything afresh. And things that you scoffed at, things that you once thought were foolish, you saw the truthfulness of them. And the wonder and the amazement. And you you began, began to wonder how you could have thought the opposite. But even after conversion, there is that ongoing struggle, is there not? That's why Paul in Romans 12 says that we need to have the renewing of our minds. Did you know that your body is in continual renewal? Your skeletal structure is regenerated every three months. 
Your skin cells are replaced every 35 days. You have a new liver every six weeks. And your stomach cells that come in contact with your stomach acids need to be replaced every five minutes. Our bodies are always in constant need of renewal. Why? Because we live in a caustic world. And our bodies need to be renewed and adapted to that world. And the mind is the same. We need the renewal of the mind, not just physically, but as Paul is saying there, spiritually. If our minds are not being called into action, being called to battle, being called to war, they will, in a sense, be worn down. They will wear out. They will be overcome. We will experience mental fatigue. And do you understand this this battle? I know that you do. In fact, just last night I experienced something. I was sleeping quite deeply and all of a sudden I was awakened. And I was awakened by a dream that I had. This wasn't a pleasant dream. This was a frightening and, and terrifying dream. It was realistic enough that my mind began to race. And my thoughts were all over the place. And it affected me mentally and, and emotionally with deep fears and, and even physically. And by physically, I, I mean that what is it that I didn't do for approximately two hours? I, I didn't sleep, right? Because you're thinking about this and, and had to do mental battle. And it's amazing because I didn't ask for those thoughts, did I? Those were just there. And that doesn't just happen when you sleep, does it? Sometimes those same crazy thoughts happen when you're awake. And you have to battle them. Why is that? Well, it's because our minds can be great liars. It can be spewers of falsehoods. Our minds can be the greatest source of our fears and our anxieties. Our minds can be as Calvin says, idle factories. Our mind can originate every thought of sin in this world that has ever been known or has ever been seen. And so, yes, our minds are caustic. Our minds can be hostile against us. And they therefore need to be renewed. Probably as often as your stomach. Which means every about five minutes. Continually. And so, with the time remaining this morning, how is it that we gird up our minds? How is it that we do battle in our minds? How do we renew our minds? Well, the first thing that I would say is that we renew our minds with truth. Christianity has somehow become anti-intellectual. It's become a feeling. It's become an an emotion. It's become an event. And therefore, you can kind of check your brains at the door. And that is tragic. Because if we do not, first and foremost, engage our minds and arm our minds with truth, then we have already lost the battle, have we not? The sin of Eve 
in the garden was that she lost the battle of the minds. What was Satan's temptation to her? Did God really say? Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And as a result, the, she chose her thoughts, or, or perhaps even Satan's thoughts, and made their, her thoughts over that of God's thoughts and his words and his ways. And that's what the word and the, the world and the, the flesh and the devil continually does, does it not? It, it, it leads to ideas that are contrary to the Lord's way. And oftentimes they're close to the truth, right? But they're not the truth itself. They're intermixed with lies. Again, just think of Eve and what Satan said to her. Did God say you should not eat of any tree? And Eve rightly corrects him, no, we can eat of all trees except for that one. And essentially Satan says, well, if you can't eat of that one, then really doesn't matter if you can read of all the rest. He's withholding that from you. He's withholding good from you. He's withholding something. So it obviously proves that he does not love you. And as a result, she believed that lie. And therefore, the same takes place, right? We have to battle those falsehoods. We have to battle those falsehoods with truth. In John 17, Jesus says, your word is truth. And so we need to know the truth of God's word. Jesus, in contrast to Eve, battled every temptation of Satan with what? It is written. And therefore, he would quote a scripture. Three temptations, three times he said, it is written. And so as we renew our mind with truth, that we deal with those lies, we deal with those fears and those anxieties and sinful temptations and lusts by memorizing God's word, by by having his word meditated upon in our hearts and in our minds, that that is the way that we fight the good fight of faith. We fight the mental battle. As lies come, we must be armed with the truth of the word. Second, we must be Guard the entry points to the mind. Again, Peter goes on to say we need to be sober-minded, which means we must not be dull-minded or intoxicated-minded. Rather, we must be right-minded. We must protect what comes into our minds. And we protect them by protecting three entry points, I think. Our eyes, our ears, and our mouth. With our eyes, we're not to... Look upon that which is lustful, that which is sin-provoking images in magazines or websites or movies or shows. Why? Because they affect the mind. Sinful behavior can easily become normalized through that which we see. And as a result, our mind becomes dull. John MacArthur said we shouldn't be entertained by the sins for which Christ died. And you might say, well, then we can't watch anything, can we? Because all people are sinful. That's not what I think he's saying. I think he's saying that those things that would glorify sinful behavior, that would portray it or promote it as normal or acceptable, content that is off-based or even debased, I think 
We are to remove ourselves. I know we're to remove ourselves from those things, not to fill our minds with them. That's what it means to be sober-minded, to be right-minded, to think Christian thoughts, to think God's thoughts after him, so that we're not adhering to lies, not adhering to falsehoods, where we need to battle. And the same thing goes with our ears, do they not? What is it that we're listening to? Who is it that are our teachers? Who is it that are our mentors, literal or metaphorical? What are the conferences and podcasts and lectures and radio and TV hosts and professors and counselors and family and friends? What are they saying to you? And what worldview is being conveyed by their words? Does it place the Lord as the creator and maker of your life? Does it keep him as Lord and King? Or does it give an alternative master? Does it promote the glory of God? Or is it promoting some other glory outside of him? Guarding the entry points, our ears and our eyes, our our mouth, the things that we consume. Oftentimes, People consume things. Why? Because it's a way to deal with what's going on in their minds. If any of you have read the book or seen the movie Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini, the World War II POW, prisoner of war. He said that when he came back, when he was released, he became more of a prisoner than when he was overseas in Japan. Why is that? Because he became imprisoned with alcoholism with being a drunk, because he couldn't deal with those thoughts. And only by becoming drunk could he sleep at night. And through the Lord Jesus Christ, he was delivered from that. But again, it shows what it means to be sober-minded, that if we would use food or alcohol or drugs, legal or illegal, to put us in a stupor or intoxicated or high state, that that is never fitting for the Christian. Why? Because our mind isn't girded up, our mind isn't ready It's not able to do battle. We're handicapping ourselves. Instead, our minds must be renewed, must be reformed to truth, must be conformed to this, not to this world, but to Christ Jesus. Eyes, ears, and mouth. We must post guards, in a sense, at these entry points. Not inviting enemy combatants to come in. And I understand that some of this is a conscience issue with I agree. But this isn't me saying do this or don't do that. But what I am trying to say and what I think Peter would be saying is that when it comes to the mind, we need all the help that we can get. We need to continue to strengthen our mind, to bolster our mind. Not helping the corrosion of it. The natural mint of the Bent of the mind is always earthly, isn't it? It's never, never heavenward. And so then, third, not only guarding the entry points, let us set our mind on things above. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind where Christ is seated. And Peter goes on to say something similar, verse Into verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ has redeemed, has regenerated, has set our minds free. And now we have the ability to think rightly, to think freely, 
We've been saved in our minds. And again, I think this goes back to the idea of girding up our minds, which I think is an allusion to Exodus chapter 12. You know what Exodus chapter 12 is, right? When the people are to leave Egypt. It's the night of the Passover. It says this in Exodus 12, 11, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belts fastened, literally for your loins to be girded, your sandals on, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This wasn't to be like other meals. This wasn't to be a time that you're kicked back with your shoes off and relaxing. You're to be ready. Why is that? Because deliverance is coming. Your freedom is coming this night. And the expectation is that you've got to be ready to go. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb has come. Right? As he will go on to say in verse 19 that we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A lamb without blemish. That we have been redeemed through Christ. Salvation has come. Salvation has come to our mind and to our thinking and to our thoughts. And we have the right to enjoy the spoils of Christ's redemption and therefore live in that freedom. Don't enter into captivity again. It'd be like the Israelites saying, that's okay, we want to stay here in Egypt. We want to be slaves to Pharaoh. No, be free. You have been set free in Christ. As Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We have been given as Paul says in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation. Freedom has come. We have a greater freedom than even the Israelites enjoyed when they were freed from Egypt. In Christ, the battle is already won. Salvation is secure. Enjoy the spoils of Christ's victory. That if we set our minds on things above, as we meditate upon Christ, upon the riches of his grace and all that he has been given to us, our minds are truly set free. Let me finish with this story. It's, again, something that Justice Thomas said in his speech. He told a story of how a young student in France boarded the train and he sat across from an elderly man and he noticed that this elderly man was praying And the young student was surprised by this and asked the older man, do you believe in prayer? To which the old man said that he did. And the student told the man that the professors at his university don't believe in such superstition. And then he went on to enlighten the man on the more modern and sophisticated views of the world. As the older gentleman prepared to leave the train at his stop, the younger man offered him to send some materials to further enlighten him. The older man kindly accepted it and gave him his business card as he departed. As the train pulled away, the young man read the card aloud to himself. Louis Pasteur, Director of Scientific Research, Paris. As foolish as it was for that young man to think that he could teach one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest scientific minds ever. How much more foolish is it for us to think that our minds, our thoughts, could ever be greater than the minds or thoughts of the infinite God? 
for, for the grace, greatest and best thoughts. The greatest ideas and gems of truth will be the thoughts and truth that God gives. And that is not hidden from us. He shares them freely. The issue is, are we going to believe them? Are we going to trust them? Are we going to think that our thoughts are better? Now let us think his thoughts. Let us hide away his truth in our minds. And as a result, as we'll see next week, that we are to live according to those ways. But as we finish today, I would say to conquer ourselves. We need to first conquer our mind. And to do so, our minds must be completely conquered by Christ. Holy, fully given to him so that we may experience the full sense of salvation that is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. It is convicting to us in many ways. Oh, Lord, how we struggle with our thoughts and in our thinking, how we do battle there. Lord, we pray that we would put on the helmet of salvation that is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And that we would use the sword of the Spirit to to do battle as we hide away your word in our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would give us that freedom. We pray for those that are struggling with mental thoughts, whatever it may be, O God. If it be in the area of sin or fear or anxieties or depression, O Lord, I pray that you would gird them up, O Lord, with your truth and by your Spirit. Lord, we are thankful that you rescue us. Until that day that you rescue us fully, we pray that you'd help us. We thank you for this in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.